All right, Thomas Fraser Holmes, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you doing? Good, Hawkey. Thanks for having me, mate. Yeah, where are you coming from? Coming from the Gold Coast uh, here in Australia. It's it's not too beautiful today. It's a little bit overcast, but um, yeah, great place to live. The Goldie. Hey, how long have you been living there? The Goldie. I've been here for about uh, 10 years now. And uh, before that, I spent two years in Canberra at LES and then I was born and raised in Newcastle. Oh, wow. Yeah, you've been around a little bit. I've been around. Yeah. Been in the good places. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> how'd you end up getting into swimming? I guess um, pretty much like every kind of Aussie family, my, my parents were very keen swimmers and I have an older sister who was very keen into swimming as well. And I was the, the youngest sibling. So I sort of just followed my, my parents and my, my sister's footsteps into swimming. And funnily enough, I, I didn't really find swimming till I was a little bit later. I, I was sort of really into my um surf lifesaving as you know back in the day was it was quite big it was it was a pretty big sport back in australia um the clubby scene so i was really into that until i was about i guess from when i started swimming at about five or six all the way up until about 16 before i got a scholarship to the LAS in canberra so um i grew up in a city called newcastle which is about two and a half hours outside of sydney to the north um blue collar town very um very tough and resilient town. So I um, found my way into swimming and just sort of found my way from there. Yeah. Yeah. It is a great town, mate. I, I know a little bit about it. My, my roommate at the Olympics, uh, Justin Norris, he, uh, he, he's a great guy and he's from, he's from Newcastle and you, you were telling me that you, you know him. Yeah, no, he's one of my, he's a close friend, but he's also one of my first real role models and, and first real heroes in the sport, you know, coming from, a small town like Newcastle, it's um, and to see someone to go on to the 2000 Olympics and, and win a bronze medal, um, not only qualify, but win a bronze medal at the Games was something, you know, so huge and so big for not only Justin, but for the city of Newcastle was, you know, we had such a, a really good um, pedigree of swimmers that came from that area. And um, Justin was definitely the first person that, that I wanted to be like and try to try to model my swimming career off. Yeah, good guy, mate. I made the I made my I made my first Olympic team at the age of twenty five, and by then on the Aussie team, everyone kind of knew each other. So when I, I was kind of the rookie at twenty five, and so we had this team meeting, and uh, they were like, "All right, you guys pick your roommates who you want to who you want to room with at the Olympics." So everybody just automatically got together, and there was just two guys left over. It was me on one side of the room, and and uh, this curly head guy over the other side of the room. So I just walked over. I was like. Hey man, uh, looks like it's you and me. You want to be roommates? He's like, oh yeah, absolutely for sure. So, uh, so, so Justin Norris was my roommate, and then from that moment on, we were just inseparable, mate. And uh, I love yeah. that. Yeah, I've heard about this story from the the '04 games where what was the challenge at the McDonald's? It was a hundred nuggets, hundred chicken nuggets without a drink or something like that that he did in one. It was two thousand. No, it was, it's that's where it all 2000, started. Yeah, all the challenges started uh, two thousand. So, Nori could always eat like an animal. I don't know. He he just had a capacity <laughs> for food, and uh, so after he won his uh, bronze medal in the in the two hundred fly, he he just beat Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps was I think fourteen or fifteen at that Olympics, and uh, he was. and Nori and Nori touched him out. Um, 
Michael got fourth in that. But so after that, he, he was just so happy. So he, he, you know, we hadn't eaten, you know, McDonald's in such a long time because you're just being a, a professional athlete. So first thing he does yeah. is go straight to the dining hall and uh, he gets, he gets three big Macs. I'm trying to remember this correctly because he'll get angry if I don't, but there was three big Macs. It was like uh, two large Cokes. It was three large chips. And then it was like, he must've got like 30 nuggets or something like that. So, so he's eating all this food. And one of the guys was like, there's no way you'll finish all that. You know, why'd you waste all that food? He's like, Oh, I'll, I'll eat that. He's like, I could eat all this plus a hundred nuggets if I wanted to. Yeah. And so that's where the hundred nugget challenge starts. So, so that right there, he's, he's eating these nuggets and he's going, he's going, he's going, he's eating, he's eating all the other food. And he's got down to the last, I think, four nuggets. And he's down. To, he's on. He's on ninety six. And then he runs over to the trash can, just loses all the meal, and then comes straight back. And then he, he finishes the last four. <laughs> so was, Absolute animal. Yeah, that I was the legend inspired, of. He inspired thousands of kids that want to go and swim at the Olympics, oh. so they can go and try that challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody heard about it after that. And even at the oh. Olympic Village, he had like all these famous athletes like grouping up around him to watch him do this challenge, you know? So it was just like, <laughs> so it was hilarious. Yeah. So. Performance of the games. Yeah, exactly. But after that, it was just, there was always this food challenge at the games after you finished swimming and you had to, you have to do a food challenge. Yeah. I know just with Nari, he was, he was so influential with um, not only, not only being a role model, but he was really influential in me, even getting to a scholarship to the AIS when I was 16, he was sort of, um, I think he made a few calls down to the AIS and said, you know, you got to take this kid on to, to progress this kid. Cause I think he's got something special. So he was, he was someone that really just essentially kickstarted my professional career. Yeah. yeah he's definitely that type of guy. That's, that's good to have someone like that in your corner. Yeah. Um, yeah. how, how did, uh, you know, why would you want to go to Canberra though? Like I, I kind of got the same type of offer around your age and there's no way I was moving to Canberra. Yeah. Well, I guess for me it was, um, coming from a, not a small town, but a relatively small country town like Newcastle, I, I was kind of already at the top of that town. And I, I was at that point of point of my career where it was either, all right, do you want to chase the, the Nutri-Grain Ironman series, which is, as I was saying before, was pretty popular in Australia, or do you want to go and chase the swimming career? You know, mm. you don't have that much experience. You've kind of just started it. Um, and this scholarship came up and um, I went down for a two week trial to, to um, train with Vince Raleigh, as you know, um, he's a very um, successful coach here in Australia. And after that two weeks, I, I, I came back and I, I sat down with my dad and I just said, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I, I loved it. I, I want to go for this. And he said, all right, well, what's the next step? Let's get you down there. And then it wasn't kind of, Oh, it's Canberra. It's cold. There's not much to do. I come from a country town where I'm at the beach and I've got this, you know, really good lifestyle up here. It was more so how far can I take this thing in swimming? And my ultimate goal at that time was, was to compete at the Olympics. So I knew the only chance or the opportunity for me to train and, and potentially get to an Olympics was to go somewhere like the ALS. Did you consider America at all and coming to the U S? No, I, I've, I didn't even get an offer. I kind of, um, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even, um, I blew it. I, I think at that time I, I might've been like three fifty four for a 400 and four twenty one for a 400. So it wasn't too, 
good at the time. So, um, mate, I would have given you a full scholarship yeah. on that. <laughs> <laughs> I often think about that, how my life would have, would have panned out if I had gone to the States and done the college thing. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of it. I, mean, I, I love that, that setup and that system. So yeah. Um, yeah. Never really considered or, or even really looked into it. Yeah. And that's funny, isn't it? You know, I was brought up in a similar, um, kind of mindset where it wasn't even considered, you know, and, and to think these days it's still like that, um, you know, cause there's so many great opportunities in America and, and if you take them, they can really change your life. You know, you can swim and study at the same time. Is that something they're offering you at the AIS come down and we'll, we'll get you lined up in, in college or uni? Uh, oh, definitely. Um, it was, it was not only that your swimming was looked after, it was, your accommodation, it was your food, it was the, the access to first class facilities like your strength and conditioning, your underwater footage analysis. It was the opportunity to, to I finished my year 12 down there. So I, I did one year of schooling down there and then I went to the University of Canberra down there. So, mm. um, and they had a lot of career advisors and people to point you in the right direction in terms of what you, what road you wanted to go down. So, for me, that was very appealing and it was only three, four hours away from home. So, and I think the other thing to point out is that, you know, back in the early 2000s and late, late 2000s, swimming was absolute a powerhouse in Australia. Everyone wanted to be the next Grant Hackett, Ian Thorpe, Susie O'Neill, all those types of swimmers. So I don't really think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it was in the forefront of a lot of people's minds because, you know, you had someone like a Grant Hackett who was training at a Miami and the next lane over there was the under 10s training. Mm. So it was, it was kind of like they had, they could almost touch the Olympians and they were exposed to, I guess, Olympic gold medalists in a daily environment. So they could have something to achieve all the, every day and all the time. So I think for a lot of people that might've been the, the dream was to stay here and go to Olympics rather than maybe going and chasing an education and, and, moving countries yeah okay fair enough did you end up finishing your degree uh no i didn't i'm going back studying in september okay how much more you got um well i'm probably going to start another undergrad oh, okay i'm going to start something completely fresh in sports science oh good all right good man yeah get, get it done yeah. good job that'd be awesome yeah now you uh, were in events, like you said, where you're coming off the back of some really famous athletes that swam your events in, in, you know, Ian Thorpe, Grant Hackett, you know, kind of the golden era of Australian swimming when, where we just had these superstars and, and I was just lucky to be part of a team that, that was surrounded by all these superstars. Um, and so I got to witness it, but you know, for you as a young kid taking over the, the helm of, of that, did you feel that pressure uh, throughout your career? Oh, to say you didn't would, I'd be lying. You know, you're coming off um, probably arguably the two greatest freestyle swimmers of all time in, in Grant and Ian. There's been a lot of freestyles along the way, but, well, I mean, they were so good. Dominant. They were good freestyles. They weren't the greatest. I mean, I, I was faster than both of them. Let's be honest. But <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. Man. Totally kidding. And I guess going into um, the start of my career in 2010, I think, and just from my perspective, the public perception was being an Australian 
swimmer on the Olympic team, you were automatically assumed to win gold. Because yeah. That's what Australian, the Australian public was so accustomed to in that era. So I think, um, you know, a classic example, I got back from the London Olympics when I was 20 years of age and my goal was to make three finals. I wasn't ranked inside the top eight going into any of those, any of my events. And I ended up making three finals in the 400 IM, the 200 freestyle and the four by two. So I, I came back from those games absolutely over the moon. I was stoked. I achieved the goals that I wanted to achieve and then was looking forward to the next four years. And then I remember having a conversation with someone and they asked me just off the street and they, and they said, oh, you must be disappointed you didn't get a medal. And I, I sort of said, I, I went there and I achieved everything that I wanted to achieve. And it was just kind of that, that mentality of, well, why didn't you win type thing. And I think yeah. that's what um, everyone that goes to Olympics is, is shooting for that and is, you know, wanting to win every single time you dive in the pool. But I think here in Australia, um, people have become accustomed to winning and um, that's sometimes, yeah, the culture here, but it's, it, it's a good thing. It's, it's, it makes you put in the extra effort and, and train as hard as you possibly can because you know you've got the whole nation behind you. Um, but I think just through that, those 90s and, and 2000 era was, was a very successful period for Australian swimming. Yeah. Yeah, man, it was. I was, I was around it and it was tough to even be on the team when you had those, those guys that were kind of automatics, man. They would just go out there and dominate people and – and then, you know, you felt like, wow, how come I can't do the same thing, you know? But, uh, you know, when I look at your career, I look over it. Um, there are a lot of instances on the international scene and even, even looking at your best times, you know, if, if you were just to take your best times in all your events, like you're right there. Like you're amazingly, incredibly good but you're fifth and sixth in the world. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm, I look at your career and it's there. Do you feel like when you look back, you know, there's, there was something that was just holding you back from being a dominant force in the world, like being, you know, taking that one more step forward. Yeah. I think when I, as you said, the times that I've, that I have swum, it's more or less when I look back on it now, I think I might've stretched myself too far across too many events and especially swimming from the 400 IM down to the 200 freestyle. Mm. Um, it takes a lot of out, a lot of out of you and it's a different type of training, I guess, for those two events. So I think, especially going into the Rio games, I, I felt like I was in a really good position to do really well and, and hunt for medals. And, and that was my goal going in, but just, at an Olympic Games, the 400 IM is on day one and then the 203 heats are on the next day. So it was a kind of, it was a hard backup. But in hindsight, it's always a beautiful thing that, you know, I would probably focus on the one event rather than the three events that I was trying to go across. So I think I was really good across a couple of events, but never really nailed down the one event. Yeah, yeah. That's kind yeah. of the way it looks to me when I look at your, your your stats and your career a little bit. It's like you're really good at a lot of things, but there wasn't just this one killer where you were just where you could dominate the world, you know? Um Yeah, and I felt like that was coming with my two hundred freestyle in two thousand and fourteen or two thousand thirteen, fourteen where I was getting down to those low one forty fives where the world is still now. Mm. Um, but I was also swimming 410, 411 for the 400 IM. So that was sort of, I was in the ballpark for both events and I could challenge for both 
events internationally, but I, I just never went, okay, this is the event that I'm going to go down. And I think now getting a little bit older and a little bit wiser, I guess that's become my main focus now is that, that 200 meter freestyle relay for what was meant to be this year's Olympics, which is now next year's Olympics. So you're, you're still going to be in full training and everything like that for next year? Oh, absolutely. I'm at this stage, I'm committed to, that was my goal when I sort of had that break in 2017 was to come back and um, compete at the third Olympics because that's the ultimate goal. It's chasing something that I don't have, which is an Olympic medal. Uh, I've been to two Olympics. So that's my, that's my goal for me is to, is to finish with, with a little bit of silverware from, from one of those meets or that meet. So what is it then? What's, what's the thing stopping you? You know, you've been to two, you've got your experience. How do you get on the podium? Well, I think for me, it's chasing um, those times that I've been and getting a group of guys, especially in the four by two, to get them to be ready on the big stage on the big day. And for me, I think throughout my career, I've, I've always kind of looked at individual events are great, but the relay events have always meant so much to me. And that's been my biggest thing is getting this men's four by two freestyle relay up and going and, and being successful at those Olympic games. It's, it's probably something that's, I wouldn't say a downfall, but um, something that is really close to me is making sure Australia comes first and making sure the team's doing well. And, um, kind of putting my individual performances aside and, and just really wanting the relay to do well. And I, I think when you look back at my career, every time I've done a PB, it's, it's been in the lead off of a relay because I, I enjoy those races so much. Mm. Yeah. Well, listen, the, the 53 has come such a long way since I swam. 22-0 wouldn't get you a sniff at anything these days, you know, but everybody's going, you know, 21 lows, which is just mind-blowing for me. And the 100 freestyles done the same thing. Why is the 200 freestyle stagnant? Why is it stuck where it's at? Oh, that's a good question. I think... Um... For me, I think maybe it's it's a it's a bit of a what do you call it a, a mythical a magical barrier that no one can can break that one forty five zero mark consistently, and I think if two or three people do it, you saw it this year's world championships with I think Duncan let off in a one forty four high in the relay and Clyde Lewis went one forty four high. I think once a few people start doing it, then the floodgates are going to open. I think it's the 200 freestyles a mixture between um, having really good endurance, but also having that speed component, that upfront easy speed, the first 100 meters to get out in your 50.5 and then still being able to come home in, in 53 mid to get a really good swim. So I think it's one of those things that um, once a few people get under that mark, it's just going to be a, a floodgate that's going to open. What's the name of your swim clinics? Why not me swim clinics? All right, say it again. What's it called again? Why not me swim clinics? All right, so we're talking about the 200 free. You got a clinic that's called Why Not Me, and you're talking about everybody else except you. Why not you, man? (laughs) Why why aren't you? Why aren't you going to be Olympic champion next year? You tell me. You got a clinic name, Why Not Me? Well, I think the the thing that we try to instill in our kids' 
we kind of do clinics predominantly with the, the eight to 14 years of age. And we try and, um, I guess, progress those kids to a state and national level and whatever time they want to achieve, if it's a state qualifying time, whether it's a national age qualifying time, we try to really instill them they can do it. And it's, why not me? Why can't I go and achieve that time? Why can't I go and win a state medal or a national medal? Or even for me, why can't I go and win an Olympic gold medal? That's, that's the message that we try to instill in a lot of kids and um does someone, a lot of fun, uh, a lot does of someone need to slap that into you or what do i need do i need to be your sports <laughs> psychologist here you need, is that what you need mate i can well, help come you on out. down and we'll see how we go mate i can help you jesus who's coaching you right now i'm with michael bowl at the moment oh so bowley i'm gonna have said, words with bowley yeah. my god <laughs> Why so, not you, mate? I, Jesus, I want you to win the 200 freestyle next year. Forget all these other <laughs> jokers. What's your best time right now? Uh, one, 147.6 last year. That's your best so, ever? No, 145.0 is my best, but the, at the moment it's 147.6 yeah. last year. Not at the year. moment. That was the, whenever you did that. It was the same time you went 145 was whenever you did that. Your best time is 145.0, right? It's in you. You got. It's right there. It's like, what else do you need? You don't. You don't need anything else, mate. If I've been one forty-five, I'm telling you, I'm winning the Olympics next year. If I've gone one forty-five zero, mate, I couldn't break two hundred three for two hundred freestyle. But I'm telling you, if my best time was one forty-five zero, no one's beating me next year. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. Like, let's let's get you back in the fifty. Mate, let's do no. it, <laughs> mate. No. Look, I look back on my career, and I wish I had, um, I wish I had somebody that believed in me like that. You know, like I wish so I wish somebody would slap me around a little bit and be like, Brett, you're right there. When I when I um, finished sixth at the Olympics, the uh, you know Gary Hall won it in twenty one ninety one. I think it was you know twenty one ninety two something like that. Twenty one ninety one. Let's say in and in, in the in, the night before I went 2207. So we're talking, you know, we're talking less than a couple of tenths, but it's, it's nothing, you know, like if I look back, I'm, I'm, I could win the Olympics, you know, but I didn't believe it at the time. And I kind of get a sense that you're kind of in where I was, you know, 15 years ago. And I, and I just want to shake you and be like, don't be like me 15 years ago, man. Like if you're 145, you're as good as anybody out there. You know, there's nobody as good as you. Who's better than you? Well, I think I think no one, but it, no, exactly, a, no one's better than you, a, mate. There's a difference between, um, I my personal opinion is that inner belief, and then also, um, I guess going out there and saying you're going to do it. I'm more so the person that has that real strong inner belief. I might not be out there every day saying I'm going to win the Olympics, I'm going to do this, but I think. Um, my inner drive and my, my self-drive within me is, is very strong. And I know everything leading in the next 12 months is going to be heading towards that um, dipping under that finally that 145 barrier. So Good. a lot of work to do, but very, very confident. Well, quite listen, confident. Yeah. Well, be confident. You don't let, don't let them sniff an inkling of doubt in you. You know, if you're, if you're the guy then be the guy, you know, and that was, look, if you're going to live in anyone's shadow and you're going to be Grant Hackett, you know, live in those, those guys shadow. This is what I can tell you that what I learned from them being around those guys, there was, and it's, it's like, you know, you've been watching the Chicago Bulls series. It's the mentality that Michael Jordan had and it's the mentality that Grant Hackett had 
and and Ian Thorpe. They had the same mentality as as Michael Jordan. And, you know, Michael Jordan wasn't running around saying I'm the best, but there was a uh, he carried himself in that way. And you and mate, you're there. You're shit. You're one forty five zero. There's nobody in the world better than you on paper. No one. I can't think of anyone. The only one that may be good, he just got busted for drugs for eight years. He's out, you know? So don't let them get a sniff that you doubt yourself for a second that you could be Olympic champion. And that's, that's Grant Hackett. Grant Hackett, you never doubted that guy believed that he was going to be Olympic champion. And he wasn't running around telling everybody that, you know? Yeah, no, no absolutely no doubt. And that's definitely my, my mindset in terms of, definitely not going around saying what I'm going to do. It's more so let my actions speak and my swimming do the talking. So good. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped for the next sort of, what is it? 14 months now. So we're meant to have our trials next month in June. So I guess it's 13 months till our trials. So oh, right. um, a lot okay. of, yeah, a lot of, a lot of um, hard work and commitment and, and fast swimming coming up. Yeah. Well, you, you did tell me you spent some time training with Grant. What did you learn from him while you were training with him? I get the thing I learned from Grant was when, when to be good and when you're good, you absolutely go for it. Mm-hmm. And the specificity that he trained at and the level that he trained at was very uncompromising and very, um, you know, I listened to his podcast and he mentioned the word dominant a lot. And I guess that is the word or that's the mentality as you were just pointing out before that you need to have when you are training and, and probably just the conviction that Grant had when he was swimming as well. You know, I'm sure you've heard a lot of stories about Grant when he was, when he was training that was never happy, never satisfied. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what we all learned when he came back from, um, from his six years off that, you know, he was, I think he was 35 and he, and six months later he came back and swim 146.8 or something like that. So, um, you know, any, the, probably the biggest thing is that anything is possible. You know, when he came back, he, he could barely, you know, make it through a 7k session with Dennis as, you know, probably yeah. <laughs> it's a difficult thing for most people, but this, when he came back, he was, he was kind of just getting fit. And then he just picked up like that from that, like I was saying that, that dominant attitude and, and that self drive. Yeah. Well, that's good stuff, mate. Well, tell me what else have you um, learned from being on the Australian team? What are some of the things that you've learned over time? The biggest thing that I've learned from just being on the team is that you have to be very resilient to be on any sort of international stage. And especially a sport like swimming, it's, you know, you're getting up in a, essentially a pair of jocks and, and swimming in front of the entire world. So yeah. You have to be very self-confident and very um, self-aware of, of who you are and, and what what you stand for and, and, and what you want to achieve is probably the biggest thing. It's it's definitely a sport where you can't you can't come in and expect to give eighty percent and swim PBs. That's just not gonna happen. So um, like being on the national team, it, it's it's been such a such a privilege and such a I guess opportunity for me to to spend my last 10 10 years of you know being professional athlete and and going to two olympic games and definitely a third next year so 
um, a lot of a lot of fun times and hard work. I saw you swim at the Commonwealth Games in was it Glasgow? Yes. Yeah, and you 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 swam really dominant there, right? Yeah, I think that's where I swam my one forty five zero, and then forty five minutes later, I had the four hundred medley as well, which was tough back up. So what was clicking for you there? Because I watched that live, and when I watched you, I was like, "Who the hell is this kid, man? You were you looked incredible." <laughs> what was what was clicking for you? I I'm a big I'm a big believer in um, I was always chasing the perfect race, and I think for me in 2014 that perfect race definitely came, and I swam my 200 meter freestyle to perfection. For me, my my goal time for that year was 145.0, and I managed to achieve that. And I guess I like the challenge of that really tough double. And I, and throughout my career, I've, I've really tried to, I guess, find things that challenge me. And um, that's something that definitely challenged me. And the training that we were doing just led up to that result. And I think there was a lot of enjoyment and a lot of joy in my, in my training and then which resulted in my racing. So, um, yeah, like you're saying, just clicked and I was just having fun. That's what it comes down to. So how do you replicate that for next year then? How do you get that, that consistent performance? How do you become a guy that is automatic 145, bang, 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 any, any day of the week? Well, I think it's two things. It comes from consistency and specificity and training of, of what you're doing day in, day out. And then I think the second thing is enjoying what you do and creating an environment where you can not only swim fast in the pool, but your life outside the pool is 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 good and, and you're just enjoying it. And I think too many times you see swimmers overthink or they don't come in, they've got too many things going on in their mind and they're not really enjoying being at training or being at competition. and you can definitely see that when it comes to comes to race time. Yeah. Do you consider yourself a leader of the Australian team now? Um, I, in a, not an official role, but if anyone has any, you know, questions that might need some answers to, I'm more than happy to um, give them what I think and some feedback. I'm no, by no means wanting to go in there and, and, tell people what to do or preach or, you know, this is what you should be doing. But I feel I have a lot of experience over my career and um, I wouldn't say an official role, but unofficially. Yeah. What does it mean for you to compete for Australia? I mean, um, you know, there, there's obviously a lot of pride in competing for your country. Do you feel that when you put on the cap? Oh, absolutely. That's the, that's the thing that you swim for when you're, you know, especially when you're coming through the ranks is that getting that green and, green and gold cap and, and putting it on, strapping it on an Olympic final or a world championship final. That's when you dive in, you're not only just diving in for yourself, you're diving in for the, you know, the people watching you back home, Australia in the pub. It's, it's all those people that, um, who are fans, who are, um, keen watchers of the sport it's it's those people that you're swimming for and not only just yourself your friends and family it's it's all of australia that um you almost have a a a duty to to do the best you possibly can and 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 win do you get nervous do you feel uh pressure because of that and how does it how does it manifest in you um i think i'm a person that i really enjoy 
when I'm in the pool. So I don't, when I'm racing, I don't feel any pressure whatsoever. It's more so like the, the weeks, not the weeks, probably the days leading into it just before a major competition. It's, it's kind of what somewhat nerve wracking and um, you're just going through your processes and that's probably when you get your most nervous about a big competition. I don't know if you are the same, but once I got to sort of the competition we're on pool deck and, um, you're mingling with your with your teammates and you're just getting fired up and you get ready to go. I don't really tend to get too nervous around then. It's more the anticipation of, you know, let's go, let's do it, let's, you know, let's get it on type thing. Yeah. Do you do you know when you're gonna have a really good performance or 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 like do conditions have to be perfect for you to have a great performance or you can you kind of perform under any circumstance? Well, I think, I think a pretty good um, example was that in, in both probably 2010 and 2016, we had the, the Commonwealth Games in, in New Delhi. The conditions definitely weren't ideal. There was, the village wasn't completed. There was, it was probably kind of similar to what you had in Athens. It was sort of, um, there was, you know, mosquitoes everywhere. There was um, <laughs> staircases somewhat weren't completed and all that type of stuff. And I think, after a couple of days of competition, the toilet stopped working. So there's a lot of factors and stuff that come into play and especially in a, in a village environment. But I think I, I can put things aside and, and once you dive in the pool, it's, you know, you've done all this training, you've done all this swimming and it's kind of nothing else really matters. That's the kind of state that I get into. And um, I know that's, I don't know if you felt like that as well, you know, mm. especially in the Athens village. And and Rio definitely, as you know, had some challenges as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you you, you always you go. You, no, it doesn't matter where you go. There's always going to be something different. It could be a bathroom at this village, or it could be the weather at the next village, or it could be bus buses, or it could be food. You know, there's always going to be something that's not going to be perfect. And I think that's part of figuring out how to perform at, at your best is learning to deal with imperfect conditions because it doesn't matter where you go there's always going to be something that's not right you know yeah was athens a bit like that yeah athens was a lot like that you know they were still yeah they were still laying grass uh when we arrived in the village and um you know it wasn't it just wasn't ideal and it was an outdoor arena so it was super hot the, the night mm. that i raced was was really really hot and humid um so you had to deal with the weather conditions as well which was different so yeah, I think I think every every place you go, I can think of every major meet I went to. There was always something that wasn't ideal, you know. Yeah, no, definitely. That's. I think sometimes when you go to world championships and you you stay at the really nice hotels and the pool's only a couple of minutes away, that's kind of the easier the easier meets to swim well at. But when you go to Olympic Games and everything's a bit foreign and some things aren't finished, it's a lot um, more challenging to to get the, the perfect preparation, I guess. But yeah. I don't know, I kind of think of it, it there's some fun in, there's a fun element to that as well. Like a, I remember at the 2014 Pan Packs, it was, it was just torrential rain the entire meet. And I, I really enjoyed that, you know, like I, the different elements and the different challenges that were presented, I kind of thrived a bit in it and it was something different, I guess. Yeah. What do you like about training with Michael Ball? Um, with Bowley, it's, it's really fun. It's, uh, Bowley is probably the perfect person for me in, in my, um, stage of my career and just being able to have a really good, um, communication 
level with Bolly. You know, it's nothing's ever, as you probably know with Bolly, nothing's ever too much of a drama. It's it's get in, you do the work, and and you leave the work at the pool for your next session. So, for me, I, I love that. I love. Um, I've always come from a from a very working class, tough type of program. Um, so, Bolly is is definitely up that that category. But we also do some some pretty um, speedy stuff as well. Yeah, sometimes when you come from a working class, um, you know, it is good. I'm trying to think here. I'm trying to think of the way to put this because there's a there's a working class mentality which is a toughness about you, which I think is awesome. But sometimes the negative of that can be, uh, you know, if you've got a working class mentality, you think you're here for some reason and, and maybe there's there's an elevated, you know, someone might be over you. Do you, do you see yourself as a, as a world champion? Like, do you look at yourself and think to yourself, like, I, I'm worthy of being a world champion? Oh, absolutely. You have to. I know we spoke about that um, not too long ago is that you can't rock up to a swim meet and be, you know, second guessing yourself. That's, that's, that's not going to get the job done. You know, you have to believe it every single day. And, um, whether that's, you know, you're, you're broadcasting that every day or whether that's a self-driven and, and very inner burning desire. I think that's, you know, many, many people have different ways of expressing that. But I think coming from a, from a program, you know, historically in Australia, we come from those um, very miles or kilometers driven programs and that, um, that, probably in some, some instances, what you're saying is probably correct for some people, but I know for myself that, um, you know, I see, I definitely see myself as a world champion and you got to have that. We're talking about with the, the last dance, you got to have that mentality to get virtually anywhere in the sport. Yeah, that's good. Now does, yeah. uh, does Bowley, um, how does Bowley push you? How does he challenge you? Well, it's, it's the sets that are the, that are up on the board, but I think for me, it's always the way that I interpret it and the way that I want to take it on. You know, I think um, anyone can write, for example, 3100s up on the board. You know, that's easy to write up 3100s best average on 130, but it's the way that I want to take it on as a challenge and the way that I see it and the standards that I hold myself to it. Um, so I think I'm very self-driven in, in that sense that um, if, if I need to go, say, 54s for a push 100 on my back end 200, I'm aiming to go 52s or 53s because I know that I need to be 26, 26 on my back end and my 200. So um, for me, I, I like to set the bar and the, and the standard quite high. And then if I fall a little bit short of that, then I'm still at a very high standard. But um, I guess with Bowley, it's the sets that he writes and, and the sessions that are, and the programs that are written up are, are very, very challenging and very, very tough. So, um, yeah. You think you've got a, a, a second drop in you? You think you can go 144 flat? Absolutely. I think um, we're just talking about it before that once once uh it's a combination of that speed and that endurance and i definitely have the endurance side of it so for me the next 12 months is is really trying to to build the speed capacity up to a good level where that that first 100 meters is is fast but also relatively quite smooth and relaxed so 
Um, I know for me, I'm kind of itching to get back in the pool and get back into a, a, a good solid routine and um, start working on those things that, um, that are going to be needed come July 2021 now. What do you think those things are for you? What are you lacking right now? Or what, where could you improve? I think the, the thing that we have tried to improve the last 12 months is, especially coming after my break in, in 2017, is, is really trying to build that strength back up in the gym. Um, that's probably something that I that was lacking over the past 12 months. And especially over 200, you need to have, you need to be strong. You need to be um, quite powerful and explosive to, to carry that velocity through the water. Um, so for me, that's, that's probably the main area. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Mate. Talk to us about your swim clinics. I was giving you a hard time before, by the way, um, you, you, you do an awesome job for the community and, um, and, and just giving back the way that you give back. So talk to us about that. How did that start and where, where is it at right now? Yeah. So basically how it started, my, my good mate, Lockie Staples, um, he comes from the central coast as well. Um, which is a small town outside of Newcastle. We we kind of came together and we said, how can we, you know, kind of make a difference? How can we inspire these kids to to go on and and like I said before, whether it's to win a a school swimming carnival, whether it's to go on and win a state or a national medal or even get to the Olympics, we just really wanted to inspire those guys to to think, why not you? Why can't you go out and achieve those those goals that you've set with your with your coach and and really go after them with with conviction and go after them with with that, um, that mindset of, you know, this is me, this is, you know, this is what I'm going for. And, um, we've had some great success and great feedback over the past 12 months. And, um, I know we're definitely looking to expand and, um, grow those even bigger and further. Yeah. Good for you, mate. That's awesome. Um, how how many, how many do you do a year right now? I think last year we got up to, it was about between 10 and 15. So we're just trying to, with with me swimming and and um my my mate Lachlan who's who's working, we just try and at the moment fit them around. But we're like I said, we're looking to expand and looking to grow that a little bit further. Yeah, that's fantastic, mate. Now you seem to yeah. be pretty popular amongst the swimmers. Um, what what is it about you? You think that that is likable? Oh, I think I'm pretty lighthearted. I, I feel uh, I get along with everyone. I don't disagree you know don't dislike anyone i i i um i like to make time i like to get to know everybody i i don't think that anyone's bigger than anyone i i kind of just like to hang out and get to know people and and i take that as a compliment i guess that i, yeah. I seem pretty popular <laughs> yeah yeah no absolutely no um, it's it's yeah. look i don't know i don't know a ton about you you know you came after me i just know what i see and know what i read yeah. and uh, i just get a sense that you are one of those likable guys that, that everybody seems to like you you know yeah well it's um you know i've been around the game a long time and um i'm really close with you know someone like a kyle chalmers and alex graham that um, we talk a lot of stuff on instagram and and have a lot of jokes on instagram and all that type of stuff and and those guys were my roommates at world last year so um, like I said, I just try to get around to everyone and, and, and try to, especially when I'm on the team, make everyone feel like they're welcome and, and they feel like they have a place on, on this team, not just because they're a rookie or, you know, they're, they've missed a team and they've missed a couple of years and they've made a team. Like I, I just tried to make everyone feel included and, 
Um, and then I feel in return that they can give their best performance and they have a positive experience out of it all. So, um, you know, just keep doing me and keep doing, keep doing what I'm doing, I guess. Mate, I just caught a glimpse of your hands. Show us the size of your hands. They look massive. Jesus, look at those oh, things. I do have big hands. <laughs> you do. Should do a little <laughs> MMA, <helps>. mate. <laughs> it probably helps. <laughs> How tall are you? I'm at, uh, 195. So what's that? Um, six six what? Six four, I think, around okay. there. Oh, that's a big boy, yeah. Yeah. So nice. um actually I know you're into your MMA. I, I actually when I when I finish them, we'd love to get into a bit of rolling or yeah. some sort of jujitsu or something. You probably wouldn't fight or anything, but I just I think that would be really cool to get into. Um, and I think it might have some good translation to back to swimming with the grip strength and all that type of stuff. Yeah. No, I love MMA. I just love it for the fact that yeah. two guys kind of face off against each other and the cage is locked and it's like, all right, you know, last man standing. And I love that. Just that, that feeling that, that mentality. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's so confronting. I mean, it's so confronting. Yeah. If you're not if you're not comfortable with who you are when that happens, you're in a lot of trouble real quickly. Absolutely. Or you've seen two polar opposites. You saw when you saw the Connor and Khabib fight. You have Connor on the one hand who mm. is very vocal about how he's going to be this, all that, and most of the time he backs it up. And you have Khabib who's also very very confident in himself and doesn't really talk that much. That's that much yeah. crap like Connor does. So yeah. Um, very interesting. I can't wait for that second fight. I oh, know that's going to be crazy. Justin Justin Gaethje has got a, a date set, I think, before that. Though. That's going to be some some good fights coming up, man. We'll see. Yeah, definitely. I well, can't wait. See, I, I want uh -huh. to get over there and, and watch a fight with you. Oh yeah, man! I'd love to take you to Vegas. Uh, I love, I took my I take my son anytime we go. Uh, you know, big fights are on. I take my son out there and been to Madison Square Garden a few times. I got a couple of friends that that are in the UFC. So yeah, it's it's. It's That's a awesome. lot of fun, mate. A lot of fun. But, um, awesome. you know, I was going to say to you, like, I, I was a talented swimmer. I was very good at it. But I think I, I, I was a, I'm a better coach, you know, to be quite honest. I just, uh, I, can, I can identify things and I can see talent. And I'm telling you, mate, like, when I look at you, I don't see anything that you're lacking. I see nothing that you're lacking. I mean, you physically, you're gifted. You've got, you're, you're blessed with a beautiful frame. You've got massive hands. You've got an incredible coach. You've got, you've got history. You know, you're coming into your third Olympics. You've got, so you've got experience. You've got the right mentality. There's nothing that you're lacking. And, I, and I've been around a lot of swimmers, man. Trust me. There's nothing that you're lacking that's not going to get you on the top of the podium next year. I can guarantee you that, all right? No, I appreciate that, Brett. That means a, that means a hell of a lot. So thank you for saying that. Yeah, I just want I want you to believe it as much as I do because it's funny, you know, when you when you look at yourself in the mirror, you don't see what other people see sometimes and then, you know, when you remove yourself, but like when I when I look at you, I, I see a lot of things in myself that I wish I could have just been, man, you know, you have it. It's all there, you know, but you you have everything you need and and um I'm really excited about the next 12 months that you you're going for it and and uh, yeah, I think you're just in a really good spot, and and I want you to give it everything, man, because um, I want to see you on the top of the podium next year, right? Yeah, thanks, Brad. I, I like I said, I appreciate that, and I I can I've been listening to a few podcasts when of yourself uh, over the last couple of couple of months and weeks, and I can definitely see the resemblance in in type of personalities, and um, I do feel I can connect with people probably similar to what you can as well, and. Mm. 
I know we've spoken about it before in the in in the um, in the past that I'm looking to transition into that world. So it's been awesome to to listen to you and and to listen to these podcasts to have the listen to the guys that you've had on has been awesome. So um, yeah. thanks for having me on and can't wait to listen to more. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for spending the time and uh, good luck over the next few months. All right. Thanks, Orky. Cheers, mate. All right, mate. Take care. We'll do.